Welcome to the latest Lancet podcast, Richard Lane on Thursday, August the 25th. This week we're talking about childhood obesity in the UK. Last week the Department of Health in the UK released its long-awaited strategy to tackle childhood obesity. In a moment we'll be talking to the author of a comment that we're publishing in the August the 27th issue of the Lancet looking specifically at this issue. But also to mention that the lead editorial this week for the Lancet also covers the same subject. It is entitled UK Government Won't Step Up to the Plate on Childhood Obesity. But now let's hear from our guest interviewee as I say an author of a comment. Here he is introducing himself. Hello, I'm Tim Lobstein, and I'm the Policy Director at the World Obesity Federation. Tim Lobstein, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet concerning the long-awaited UK Department of Health strategy for child obesity. Before we go into some of the details of this, can we just remind ourselves of the history? This was a pre-UK election 2015 manifesto pledge by the Conservative Party, wasn't it? There have been delays. Can you just briefly track the history and, and explain why it's coming out now? We did have a Conservative Party manifesto at the 2015 election saying we will take action to reduce child obesity. And we expected that to come through in basically months. And we thought it would be time to coincide with the Public Health England's report on dealing with sugar. They came out with a number of proposals on sugar in October, having been through a rather embarrassing situation with Jeremy Hunt apparently blocking these proposals. Uh, but we expected the strategy to be coming out at the same time as the sugar proposals, but it didn't. And then we were promised it would come out in December, and then again early in the new year, and then again in the summer. Well, finally, we do have it in the summer, and I'm afraid we're rather disappointed with what we've got. And we'll talk about that in more detail. And obviously, since the strategy was released last week, I think it's fair to say there's been universal discontentment concerning the details of it. But let's look at that in a bit more detail. First of all, this very definition. Is it really a strategy? Well, that's interesting. We were promised a strategy from number 10. But what we've got, actually, if you look carefully at the, well, the title itself says um, that we have a plan, not a strategy. And then if you look at the um, introduction, they actually finish off the introduction by saying, although we're clear on our aims and goals, uh, we launch of this plan represents the start of a conversation rather than the final word. So we don't really have a plan. We have a conversation about a plan. And I think that's really, um, really ducking their responsibility. You've touched on the, the sugar tax already, which details of that were released earlier and, and, and separately, but it is relevant. Can you just, because clearly the, quote, strategy that the government are calling, or, or the plan, does mention sugar. Can you just remind us about what the deal is with sugar? We were given to believe that number 10 was not very keen on the idea of a sugar tax, and it was number 11, namely the Treasury, and the Chancellor of the Exchequer who raised the sugar tax as uh, an introduction he would like to make for 2017 when he gave his budget early in 2016. So we were surprised to see that the so-called strategy or plan included the sugar tax as if it was something new and something specific for children here, which it isn't. It came out already. So that's a bit of old news regurgitated in this new plan. The sugar tax, uh, in this case, uh, introduced by Osborne or proposed by Osborne, is a levy on the industry for the amount of sugar they use in specified soft drinks. It won't include sugary milky drinks, for example. Soft drinks with sugar in them, they are supposedly going to be levied. And in the 
current plan, child obesity plan, uh, we see that, in fact, there's going to be a consultation period even on that levy. So the specific details have yet to be worked out, and we aren't convinced that we will get even that levy by 2017. Are there any compulsory measures for industry laid out in, in this new plan? As far as I can see, that's about the most compulsory it gets, and that's, that's still open to um, further consultation. And there are proposals in the plan, uh, some interesting ones, to reduce the sugar content of a range of products. Uh, Public Health England will specify which products and suggest some targets. The industry will then voluntarily move to reduce the sugar in those products, hopefully 20% by year 2020. But all of that is voluntary and it will be monitored. There will be some accounting of how it happens. But if it hasn't actually been achieved by 2020, then all the plan says is that um, the minister will consider further measures if necessary. So all of that is extremely weak as far as we can see, and it really doesn't help convince us that there's a serious effort here. Putting it another way around, what should be in a proper strategic plan that has teeth, that's going to hold industry to account, but leaving aside the politics of it for a moment, although of course it's inextricably bound up with politics, from a public health point of view, if you were starting again, what would be the sort of measures that you would need to have a proper strategy not just to protect, but to enhance child health with relation to preventing obesity? Well, the answer to that is quite simple. We actually got a very good Health Select Committee report from um, Sarah Wollaston's group just uh, a few months ago from the, uh, the Child Obesity Brave and Bold Action, it was called, first report of session 2015-16. So that uh, listed a number of options which they felt would should be included in something like a strategy. And that included things like uh, controls on marketing to children, advertising on television. They'd like to see what we have at present, which was brought in under the old uh, Labour government, under the Food Standards Agency in 2006, strengthened so that it's not just children's programmes, but it's all programmes up to 9pm watershed. The Health Select Committee also suggested things like retail offers, the two-for-one deals, they should be more closely regulated so that they're not just offering junk foods, but make sure there's plenty of healthy foods being offered on special offer. Portion controls, school meals standards, particularly secondary schools, school environments, things like the chicken shops and so on around schools. Should they really be given licenses to operate, selling real junk food as kids go on their way home? And then there are sort of wider issues. If we were really starting again, we would think about how do we reduce obesity in pregnancy because overweight mother is at higher risk of having an overweight child. So obesity in pregnancy would be something to have another look at. And breastfeeding, of course. I mean, you've got another big industry there worth about 40 billion worldwide promoting formula feeding. But formula feeding, bottle feeding and early weaning are both risk factors for increasing child obesity. So there are, in fact, you know, a wide number of sort of strategic areas that do need to be addressed much more comprehensively than this um, weak plan. It seems extraordinary, doesn't it, that there you have... Um a separate plan, a much bolder vision. Sarah Williston, who's well-known, she's a Conservative MP, isn't she, and a doctor, working on the health subcommittee, coming up with this plan, but yet here we are with a, quote, strategy from the Department of Health that doesn't seem to address any of those issues. It's had its teeth pulled out. I mean, even earlier versions, which a few of us managed to have a sniff at, were stronger than this, and, and even those we felt weren't very good. So it's gone from weak to pathetic. That's a real shame because this was an opportunity 
for Theresa May to sort of set a stamp of how this government was going to deal with, particularly deal with lobbying and the lobbying of the food industry in this case. And uh, we're very disappointed that it looks as if um, no great measures are going to be taken. So if the teeth have been pulled out of it, where and how has that happened? Where's that come from? The Department of Health itself or from, from other parts of government? Well, I'm not privy to what goes on in inside um, cabinet and inside uh, you know the lobbying of ministers. So I couldn't tell you exactly where this happens. I was interested, uh, as I said earlier, to see that it was the Treasury that introduced the sugar tax. So it looks like the Treasury might be more immune to lobbying by special interest groups than would be um, either Number 10 or any of the ministries involved here, business or indeed uh, Department of Health. It's a lesson for public health workers, perhaps, and campaigners like us to advocate not to our health ministries, but to the director of the Treasury, because it seems that they're the ones who are prepared to take stronger action. I realise you don't work in government, and we can, I guess, only guess or surmise, but the new leadership of the government, Theresa May, I mean, she's only been Prime Minister for a few weeks. Are we guessing that further watering down compared to the earlier versions that you've seen has come about because of the change in leadership, or do you think that might have happened anyway, even if we hadn't had all the drastic changes going on over the past month or so? Yes, pure speculation there. I can't, I can't tell you when the teeth were pulled or who the dentist was. I do worry that uh, the current government didn't stand up to the industry. And um, Jeremy Hunt, of course, has kept his job, so he will be a consistent minister through all of this. And under his watch, we have seen this, um, this rather pathetic plan come out when we had expected something a good deal better. Earlier on you mentioned about some measures, some sort of measuring going on with Public Health England involving voluntary participation from industry. Have we got any, any more detail on, on what sort of things are, gonna, are going to be measured and who's going to do the measuring? Is that, is that Public Health England that are going to be involved? Yes, I understand that it is. According to the plan, um, Public Health England will provide an assessment um, at 18 months and 36 months Uh, that's to say September 2018 and March 2020, on how well the industry has reduced sugar levels in specified categories of food, which I would assume would include sort of biscuits, cakes, confectionery, uh, puddings, ice cream, those sort of things, um, cereals perhaps. Uh, So they'll be set, the Public Health England is using a model that has actually worked quite well for salt, uh, where Public Health England set targets for uh, the average salt levels for specific categories of food, things like bread and sausages and so on, and told industry they really had to meet these targets or there would be regulation. So they were copying this method. Um, It did work reasonably well for salt, but um, what was supposed to be an interim target became the final target, so we didn't actually get very strong reduction in salt levels, only fairly mild ones. Uh, And now they're going to try the same for sugar and give uh, give this... um, three-year period, 18 months and 36 months, to see how things are progressing. So there will be some monitoring to see how industry's voluntary measures might be working, but there are no sanctions. There's no, there's no punishment for industry if they don't actually reduce the sugar levels, and Public Health England have no ability to sanction industry anyway. Thank you for that. A couple of uh, final questions. What about physical activity? Because, of course... It's an essential component in terms of overall health, being physically active and children being active, participating in maybe team sports or individual sports. Obviously, education policy there is is important. And we've just had the Olympics, of course. We're riding in Britain a bit of a crest of the wave with the Olympic success. Where does physical activity fit in here? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? The Olympic success is largely put down to spending many millions per gold medal achieved. Uh, We're not seeing anything like that sort of investment in sports 
for schools or physical activity for schools, I should say. You have to be careful about physical activity in schools because what you tend to get is that the enthusiastic children, who tend to be the fit ones, do the sports, and the rather less enthusiastic ones, who tend to be the fatter ones, find it embarrassing to get changed. They find they get sweaty easily. They don't enjoy the sports that are offered to them. So you have to be a bit more sensitive about how you introduce sports to schools, and I'm not sure that we're seeing enough of that sensitivity at present. What we see in the plan is uh, there is a mention of physical activity uh, and the responsibility of schools, and what they're suggesting is that there should be a standard of one hour's physical activity per day, of which the school should be responsible for 30 minutes, and then the parents should be responsible for the other 30 minutes. Well, that's a very noble standard, but I'm not sure that schools are actually meeting that or likely to meet that. Don't know. And anyway, 30 minutes isn't really very much. And the other problem is that we've seen some evidence that when you increase physical activity at school, children do a bit less when they're out of school. So the more you increase it in one area, the less they bother in another. It's not an easy solution. And I think just sort of throwing these words out saying we want a standard of 60 minutes and the school will be responsible for 30 isn't, isn't actually a very detailed plan. That's just a, an idea. Isn't there a broader thing here that we're missing here with the government's um, strategy or, or plan for tackling childhood obesity? And that is this really big, broad question about social determinants of health. There's a massive influence here, isn't there, to do with background, socioeconomic background, relative wealth and income. We see this a lot. There is a broad issue here about social determinants of health, which underpins so much of British society, doesn't it? Yes, you get, in fact, two factors going on. You get the gradient where better-off families tend to have healthier behaviour and health and, and better health. But you also get an inequalities in society factor because we've compared countries that have different levels of inequality, Scandinavian countries tending to be quite low, some of the Mediterranean countries quite high, and indeed Britain fairly high. And what you get is worse health in those countries with greater inequality. So it's not the level of income per se, in this case, it's the actual degree of inequality within the society. So there are two things going on there, absolute income, if you like, and also relative to others. And both of those seem to exacerbate bad health uh, if, if they're working against good health. What we're thinking here is that really you need to address as a social concept what is inequality, what does inequality do to people that makes them actually care less about whether they're healthy or not. It's a really interesting comment, which I urge everyone to read. But in the meantime, Tim Lobstein, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet.